Church, today we're in our fourth week of Advent in the year of our Lord 2021. Advent is the church's annual celebration of the arrival of the Messiah. The Messiah is the promised Redeemer that all mankind has been desperate for, waiting for. He is the one whom God promised would come and deliver his people from death and sin. Christmas is the celebration of the Advent, the arrival of the Son of God, who took on flesh and was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. This year, we're taking a unique look at Christ's Advent in the fact that he doesn't arrive in this cute, cuddly, warm scene that we often want Christmas time to be in all of its superficial ways. No, he arrives into the middle of a very real war, a war of mankind, a war that, that caused the first two brothers, to, to one to kill another. The first family, murder was their reality. A war that has made race, nations rage and, and, and people pursue great themes of selfishness and, and ego and, and man-made status and treasure and, and, and have thrown aside the worthy glory of the Creator. We are in a war that is so very real. Praise God for the arrival of the Messiah, the Redeemer. Today I want to look with you at wartime joy. As we look back on the first three weeks of our Advent series, we've come to understand that the hope we find in Jesus is different than the hope we find in the world. That the, the love we have in, in Jesus is different than the world's love. The, the peace we know in Jesus is different than the world's peace. And it's the same for joy, church. The joy that we have and experience in Jesus alone is like nothing we know in the world. Joy is something that many of us maybe still struggle to really understand. Something we often confuse with happiness. Considering them to be the same thing. While there might be some similarities, the differences are so important. Declaration of Independence was adopted by the Second Continental Congress at the meeting held in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, July 4th, 1776. The second sentence in particular stands out, maybe above all the rest. It declares, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Let me ask a simple question. I pray it's very telling this morning in revealing our need for true and lasting joy. Why is it that happiness is to be pursued? The pursuit of happiness. And the answer is because it is fleeting by nature. The simple reality is things that make you happy come and then they go. This is an unavoidable reality of life. 
This is also why happiness sells so well. Because you will keep coming back for more. Right? Think about it. We live in a society where everyone is peddling happiness. The legion of professional advertisers tell you that happiness can be found in this bottle, or in that new car, or in a new lover, or in the latest new gadget. I mean, think about just the plethora, the mind-boggling plethora of advertisements you see every day of your life. And all the things that are being pushed and peddled processes do this or follow these steps and you'll be happy buy my book subscribe to this program or or buy this or own this or wear this and then you'll be happy be with this kind of person and you'll be happy disneyland is declared to be the happiest place on earth and then when you get older and realize it's not, then Vegas, baby, right? And it's just ongoing. Many of you might relate to this testimony. You've had a discipline to master a skill, to make good money, to have success, to form relationships. Maybe even with beautiful or popular people. Maybe you've traveled to see some amazing destinations. And you've essentially lived the American dream. But what I found in over 20 years of pastoral ministry and teaching and counseling is that while much of this might mean many moments in your life, in your story, that were filled with great happiness, it's all fleeting None of it holds you up. You don't go on that vacation and then somehow you just float for the rest of your life. You know, or fall in love with that person or finally get that bonus or finally get to drive that car. It just, it doesn't hold up. For many of you, the idea of true and lasting joy is a a very foreign concept. Now, the pursuit of happiness is defined in broad terms. And and what might those be? Doing well in school. Having, acquiring and keeping a great job. Maybe owning a home. Or eventually a big, sweet home. Getting to go on really crazy, fun vacations. Marrying the love of your life. Having healthy children. Right? I mean, these are the things that We chase. These are the things the world will say. I just want you to be happy. And and often we'll sell out many ideals and many morals to even have that happiness. But before you chase down that road in pursuing happiness, just stop and think about what happens if you don't do great in school? If you lose that dream job, If you're totally house poor. If you don't have healthy children. If your marriage is real and often a lasting struggle. 
for many, this means great discontent, disappointment. For some, even layers of real depression. For some, a selfishness that would cause them to say, I'm just going to scrap it and think the grass is green on the other side and somewhere this land of Oz exists and I'll find it. Blaise Pascal once said, we tend to be miserable and so we create diversions. Think of all the ways people do this today. Our faces buried in our phones. Always plugged into viewing something, having to be entertained, whether it's the web or TV or streaming or movies or video games. What about the ways we stay busy or, or, or divert ourselves by overworking or overcommitting to things? Or the ways we try to medicate to divert our minds by overeating or overdrinking or the taking of different medications or drugs. These are things that we use to mask our lack of happiness in this life. But but what does all of this tell us? It, It tells us that the pursuit of happiness is an endless road going nowhere. It is a perpetual chase. Church, what we have to see this morning is that we want something far greater than happiness. You don't want happiness. You want something better. We want joy. Joy is different because joy is not based on our circumstances. It's based on God. To experience true and lasting joy, we have to know Him. And so with that this morning, turn with me to Holy Scripture. And let's look to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Giesbrecht family blessed us to read some of this passage in our candle lighting this morning. Let's look to this first Christmas and the arrival of lasting joy. Luke chapter 2. I want to read 8 through 20 this morning. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Christ, the Lord And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened with the Lord, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. 
And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want you to first notice with me the good news the angels bring. I bring good news of great joy, they said. For all the people unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The news of a baby being born is often great and exciting news, is it not? We love to rejoice in this, whether it's ours or even someone else's. Creation, new life is awesome. It's amazing. It's worth celebrating. But the proclamation of a baby being born is is not enough to really give great and lasting joy for all the people. It only becomes this to all the people when we rightly see who this baby is and what he came to do. What I love about God choosing to bring this news to shepherds is the symbolism that the shepherds and the sheep they tend to is to who Jesus is and what he came to do. The Lord is at work in all of the details. The first announcement of Jesus' birth is given to not high-ranking public officials, as one might think this news would be sent out, but to lowly shepherds. To everyday guys, blue-collar laborers, people like you and me. Why? Because he didn't come to bring lasting joy joy just to the wealthy or the high-ranking in society, but to the humble and to the marginalized as well. Let me remind us of another layer of the context that makes little old Bethlehem And these shepherds, so special in what God's doing. We go back to the Old Testament, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I'll just read it to you. It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrath, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Another name for Bethlehem was Epaphrath or or Ephrath. And so if we go back even further to Genesis chapter 35, 19 through 21, it says, talks about Rachel's death and burial. Jacob and Rachel. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Israel, Jacob's new name, moved on again and pitched his tent beyond Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder means herd tower. It's historically understood that Migdal Eder is just outside of Bethlehem. In Genesis, the herd tower was used by shepherds to watch over the sheep, to have good view of them, the plethora of sheep. Over time, Migdal Eder became a place where the sheep were tended to, the sheep were being raised for sacrifice for the annual Passover celebration. Every 
year, tens of thousands of Jews would migrate to Jerusalem, many of them needing to acquire a spotless lamb, one-year-old without defect. Migdal Eder, being just outside Bethlehem, was a likely place that where many of these sheep were raised and prepared for such a thing. So in Luke, when it says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, what I love is the perfect work of God in all of the details. The shepherds in charge of raising and caring for the sacrificial sheep are the ones asked to go identify the Messiah and proclaim his arrival to the earth. They're assigned to identify the true sacrificial lamb that was without blemish. Amen? Think about that. 30 years later, John the Baptist announces the Messiah, his arrival. In John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who is the baby in the manger we celebrate every Christmas? He is the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Church, Christmas is not a time to stop and celebrate a religious holiday or sing some religious songs or give out some religious gifts. It's a celebration of the arrival of lasting joy. A joy that transcends our wartime realities and even our most happy moments that come and go. It's a joy that flows out of the core of our very being because it flows out of lives that are completely transformed by Jesus' sacrificial blood. You must understand with me, church, that we are alive in Christ. Those who die to self, to live to Christ, to honor Him all of their days, to grow in Him, be discipled and sent and to serve Him, in Christ alone, in Him alone, we are saved from death and from our sin. We're made new, and no matter what the world may throw at us, in Christ we've been restored to a right and eternal relationship with God. Because of Christ, we get to enjoy God. The greatest treasure that can be enjoyed. This is why Jesus' arrival, His advent is good news of great joy, even in the midst of a raging war that we're in. Consider with me the arrival of Christ and what it meant to these shepherds, because there's a detail here that we're guilty of flying right by, and you must see it. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. Verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds went with haste. That translates into, they ran really fast. They they didn't pack their bags and have a cup of tea and 
No, they, they, they got to it. And when they saw it, it says in verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They made it known. What does that look like? It means they ran up and down the streets and told everybody. Right? They made it known. They were active. They were diligent. They were excited. It says here too that Mary treasured up these things, pondered them in her heart. She treasured it up. There's joy. She's celebrating. Her satisfaction is not in her circumstances. Not in the fact she just gave birth in horrific circumstances. There's a treasure at work. The shepherds returned Return to their fields, return to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen as it had been told them. They were glorifying and praising God. Now, don't miss this. They're excited, they're telling people, they're worshiping God as they return to the fields. They're full of joy. But I want you to see it's not happiness. Happiness is linked to a change in circumstance. Nothing these guys had as they returned to the field was a change in their circumstances. They, they didn't win a, a hoverboard in Bethlehem. Or, or, or get a new wardrobe that they were feeling good about. Nothing. They had nothing new. Nothing in their circumstances changed. Christian, you keep thinking, I just need this to happen. I just need that to happen so that I can finally just be in a good place. No, you don't. You need to know and treasure the Lord to know and experience lasting joy. On the outside, it looks like nothing's changed for these guys. The same cats that rolled into town are the same guys that rolled out. But everything had changed. The Messiah was here. Lasting joy had arrived into the middle of our sin-filled, war-torn existence. Church, the joy of Jesus was not just for them, but for us too. He came for us too. This is what the Advent is meant to do to us every year. To remind us that Christmas is the celebration of lasting joy. See rightly that Jesus' arrival, what it means to your life, allow it allows you to truly experience true and lasting joy even in the midst of great trial, great hardship, not because the cards have finally fallen your way, but because no matter your circumstantial situation, trials, fears, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means eternal life and lasting joy for those who trust Him. To, to trust Him, it doesn't work 
if you just got them in your back pocket. Some of you are, are, are content to compartmentalize who Christ is in your life. Compartmentalize your religion, your routines. In your arrogance, you say, no, 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 I'm going to do this my way. No, no. When you trust Jesus, it is your joy to do it all His way. That is a great sign that you belong to Him. You trust Him. You're not Lord of your life anymore. He is. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Let's look to the words of Jesus Himself. He acknowledges our wartime reality, our wartime suffering. Look with me at verse 20. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus was undergirding the disciples here with essential wartime truth that had two important clarities to it. First, uh, the, the following Jesus faithfully would mean real suffering and sorrow in this life. Because those who are His enemies are our enemies in the war that we find ourselves in. Church, don't ever be unaware of this. Don't be naive or guilty of ignoring the reality of our wartime life because we're Christians. This world will not work correctly for you. Not until the Lord makes it new. But how we want it to work for us right now. And we really are guilty of hanging our hat on on just things finally coming together. And hooking our, our happiness to those things. We want our kids to be safe. We want our, our efforts to pay off correctly. We want a fair chance to succeed, right? But our kids are not safe. And most often you will not be given a very fair chance to succeed. This was the case for the disciples in Jesus' day too. He told them the They needed to understand sorrow would be real. And and the world would rejoice in their sorrow. Consider with me how they faced this almost immediately. 
the authorities of that day got away with lying about Jesus and then successfully having the only innocent man to ever live condemned to death, a criminal's tortured death. Right? That, that's the world not working like we think it should work to its epitome. All but one of the disciples would go on to lose their lives because of their faith. They would endure regular beatings, false imprisonments for standing for and preaching the name of Jesus. They would be separated from their loved ones for this. They would lose much of what they had worked their entire lives for. If you think I'm just going to add Jesus to my life and it's going to all get a little better, stop it. Stop. If you think your Christian faith, your church attendance means you're going to have a more successful life, an easier life, it won't. Right? Bogus churches are selling that to get you to put money in the bucket and to fill their seats. And it's a lie. The Word of God that we desire to faithfully understand, know, and preach says again and again and again and shows us again and again and again, we're going to suffer. It's going to be a struggle. Out there and even among us. There will be real persecution. There will be real pain. But those who truly submit to and trust Jesus with their lives, they will know true and lasting joy because that joy is not hitched to their circumstances. It's hitched to God. Jesus says this in the second part of this verse. Your joy, will, your sorrow will turn into joy. The promise of God for His people, this is what we must cling to when it's incredibly hard. This is the truth that picks us up when we're in the pit of despair. When our life is crumbling, when our health is failing, when our loved ones are abandoning, when our boss is firing, when our kids are running. Listen to Peter. Peter's words, 1 Peter 4, 12-13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What is this? This is bogus. No, don't be surprised because you rightly see and understand you're at war. He says rejoice insofar that you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Christian sees the blessing it is to be hitched to Christ and to share in His sufferings. We will suffer, but we know Jesus is Lord, and so we will have joy in the midst of it all. Like Peter, Paul spoke this way often. Colossians 1.24 
He says things that if you don't get this, sound crazy. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. In Acts 5.41, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. In Romans 5.3, we will rejoice in our sufferings. So what does that tell us today? It says there's going to be pain, there's going to be sorrow, there's going to be hardship that will affect us. Yeah. Don't be surprised at that fiery trouble trial as though something strange were happening to you. But it also tells us that we will experience these things. And as we do, it's always on a foundation of joy that we have in Christ. This is how Paul is able to say that he is genuinely sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6.10 I plead with you, do not miss this truth. Some of you are missing who Christ is because you're too focused on the circumstances. You're getting too caught up on the details. You'll never know the lasting joy of Christ if, if your cup is only to be filled by the temporary stuff. And so this is where we can know this, but then still fail to do it. Still fail to live it out. No, we must dip our cup into another stream altogether. Listen to Jesus' words to a Samaritan woman as they stood on a scorched day by, by a, wa- a well of water. John 4, 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. I, I just want to ask you, based on everything I've said so far, if you've been tracking, there it is. There it is. It is that statement is so profound and yet so simple. And the madness of a lost society All they want to chase is temporary stuff. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Christian, are you frustrated at life? At your relationships? At the things that you're not able to do? At the ways life seems to be working against you? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You will never know lasting joy as long as you're looking for happiness in the temporary circumstances or things of life. Jesus is saying, if you put the bucket of your soul into anything but me, your job, your money, your status, your stuff, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, your sports, your school, your food, your drugs, you will be thirsty again and again and again. The stuff you tried to quench your ultimate thirst with that is not of God, it's like pancake syrup. It's really sweet and it's liquid. But it doesn't quench your thirst. Right? Think about that. 
It's kind of revolting. Okay? And there's the point. See the madness of our pursuit of the temporary like someone who's addicted to drinking pancake syrup trying to quench their thirst. Here's the point. Unless you drink Jesus into your center, you will continue to thirst. You have to see how failed your, your idols of your hearts are. What this means is we can talk all day about doctrine, about godly disciplines, about discipleship, or any of the great blessings related to church life, faith, or God. But if we don't first and foremost deal with our deepest affections of our heart, we have no base. And all you have in the rest of that stuff is religion. You must first enjoy God, be satisfied in Him, have spiritual life in Christ. Listen to Jesus' words. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's talking about satisfaction. He's talking about lasting joy. Ongoing, never-ending joy. See, you can't fill up or, or, or clog a spring. In, in my understanding of it. You can fill up or clog a well, but a spring will find its way to the surface. Jesus is saying you can't stop the satisfaction that will happen in you, the praise that will come about in you when you take Jesus into your soul, into your center. When you die to self and you, and you give your life to Him. He causes in you a welling up of joy unto eternal life. Starts now and it goes on forever. Christ came to bring this very thing to you and me as He has set the table for His good news to penetrate the Samaritan woman's heart that day. He's doing the same thing for you and me. Do you know true joy? It is a joy that is above your circumstances. And you can only know this kind of wartime joy in Christ. Jesus continues in the beauty of this promise, this declaration in the Gospel of John 16. Look with me at verse 22. In the second part of that verse he says, And no one will take your joy from you. Not only is your sorrow turning into joy, but no one is able to take it from you. How is that possible? Hear me today. You've got to hear this because it's so important. No one can take it from you because true joy is established and held by God. It's not happiness that's fleeting and momentary and dependent on your circumstances or your temporal stuff. It's joy in Him. 
in, in who He is, in His unchanging nature, in His promises, in His power. Do you remember the words of Peter? I spoke to us in, in week one of our Advent series, 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-5. through Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's audience is the wartime church. He refers to them in the opening of this very letter as the elect exiles. The elect exiles are people chosen by God who are at the same time exiles in the land in which they live. We must never forget that we're at war. Or or you put on some kind of like facade. This is not our home. We fight for the King of Kings. We fight for many spiritual prisoners whom He ordains to be set free and then trained up in discipleship and then sent out into the war to proclaim His name until He comes again. So what needs to get upset for you to want to tap out? If in God's providence, great injustice, great flaw in the system, man, your, your home was taken from you, you fired, your bank account's empty, and all of a sudden you and your family are on the street. It's cold in the winter. All of a sudden you're you're scrambling to get scraps, to get through the day, to, to, to stay warm. What, what went wrong? What, what, do you still have true and lasting joy? Do you still see the reality that you belong to Him in the midst of this wartime reality that these days are His for you to steward for His glory? I mean, it could start to go around the room. I could start picking you out and the realities of some of what you are facing, some of what you've been going through, some of the ways that it's been turned on its head. But I won't do that. Although many of you would be okay with me doing it. I'll remind you of a good brother, uh, Jeremy, myself, Jason. He's, he's a patch holder in our motorcycle club, bring the gospel to a lost part of our society former drug addict, single guy, saved, set free from his addiction, serving the Lord in a ministry that helps minister to people who are just like him. Found a great love for riding Harleys, great brotherhood to be part of, family, kind of like he had never really known before. And all of a sudden, one day out for a ride from Teen Challenge and Shafter, 
down the 43 right here through this intersection and it bends hard to go southbound Allen he hammered down to get around a lady that in his opinion was going too slow and forgot that two lanes become one real fast in the middle of that turn found the curb shot him up in the air landed on the second medium into Allen snapped his back We're with them in the emergency room that night. It's a very real reality. He's not going to walk again. Probably not ride again. And he's got a big smile on his face. And I'll never forget it. In the midst of his darkest hour, in the midst of a person that could say, I, I know what real suffering is. God's delivered me. Surely, surely it can't get bad again. He just looks at it and says, God's just got a different way for me to serve him now. Let's go. If I got to do it in a wheelchair, so be it. He, he wasn't put on a front. The guy's now logged more miles on his trike than any of us. He's bad to the bone. He, he goes through real daily suffering and circumstances that I can't describe from the stage. And the joy of the Lord moves this guy. He gets to serve as king. His prize is in eternity. It's not here. Our exile will be hard. And yet God has saved you and secured you in His power. And so when your stuff gets messed with and your circumstances get flipped on their head, do you see rightly, Christian, that your inheritance is imperishable? It will not end. It will not run out. It will not go bad. Your inheritance kept by God is undefiled. It's holy. It's pure. Your inheritance in Christ cannot lose its luster or its value or its beauty. Your inheritance is secure. This is what Jesus means when He says, no one can take your joy from you because God's got you. Let me ask you, who's going to break in and break you out of God's grip? No one. Not even Satan. No one. Church, we need to see our security for eternity as divine walls of protection that surround the heavenly city. It is so much bigger than that, though. That's too limited. It's active. It's always the always present power of God by whom no one can break in and have you. Listen to Jesus' words in John 10, 27-29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. God will not lose any that He has saved. John six thirty nine. This is the will of my Father who sent me, that all He has given me, I should lose nothing. But I will raise it up on the last day. He did not make a mistake in your election. He did not make a mistake on the cross and dying for your sins. He did not make a mistake in giving you a new birth. He does not make a mistake in enduring you to the end. Therefore, no one can take you from your greatest joy. Amen? Amen. You have joy in Him. 
When you start to look to your circumstances and cling for a little happiness, look above it. Look to your Lord. Jesus says in John 16, 23-24, And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Christian, you are an elect exile. Don't forget who you are and who you live for. When we ask for something in Jesus' name, we are essentially saying, I want to do your work. I want to fulfill your will. We're not looking to manipulate him into, into, into it going our way. It, it's a prayer of surrender. It, it's, it's a prayer in the effort to align ourselves with God and his perfect plan to accomplish his perfect will. Do you get that? Do you see the joy that it is to participate in this life, in this war, for His namesake, for His glory, and for your joy that no one can take from you? I'll often end my emails or a Facebook post or maybe a text to some of you with just that reminder. These things I've said are for His glory. They're for others' good and for our joy. No matter what it is, it's for His glory. If we're doing it under His will, if we're doing it His way, it's for others' good. And it's for our joy. This is how Jesus is able to say, your joy will be full. I pray that your joy is full this Christmas. It's overflowing in Christ. I pray that you don't settle for the chase of the temporary that your fleeting circumstances are built on that you know true joy in God who is eternal and perfect and satisfying. The psalmist got this. David gets it in that most famous declaration and prayer in Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said that your joy may be full. If it is full, if it's truly full, then it's overflowing. Right? A cup that is almost full doesn't overflow. A cup that is full spills over. He says it overflows in the presence of my enemies. Why does he talk like that? Because of our wartime reality. A joy that we have in Christ that carries us and endures us through the valley of the shadow of death. psalmist says delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart Psalm 37 4 Psalm 16 11 in your presence is the fullness of joy in your right hand there are pleasures forevermore do you get this do you truly have joy not in the things of this world but in Jesus 
This is what he came to bring us. This is what the angels were singing about. He's the prize. The worthy one worthy of our trust and our praise. So I just ask you, is he your exceeding joy? In what fleeting temporary thing, relationship, status, whatever you might be looking for to make you happy, just stop. Don't dig your cup into that stuff in the pursuit of happiness. Look to Christ alone, your source for true and lasting joy. A joy that you will have in God now and forevermore. We have much to rejoice in today. Amen? You stand with me. We're going to pray. We're going to worship God together in unity. And then I'll come back with a couple of closing comments before we go. Father, we thank you for this time together in your holy word. We thank you for this Advent season, these four weeks that now set the table for our gathering on Christmas Eve. We, we are blessed to have your word, to, to be among your family, who's now our family blood-bought brothers and sisters that, that in our flesh, like Cain and Abel, we wanted, to, we wanted out of the way. But in Christ, we press through our, our selfishness, our pride, our differences to, to link arms together and pursue the Lord. This time of Christmas is, is such a temptation to get really worked up in just all the temporary stuff. It, we give into it and just kind of a, a need to, to meet a standard of how many presents need to be under the tree and what it all needs to look like. And I just pray we love each other enough to, to really have a peace and, and, and a hope and a joy in you. That that really is our testimony each one of us. Where there needs to be some confession of sin and some repentance, Lord, do your work in us. Where we needed to slow down and get alone with you in the coming hours and days, let us do that. Where we need to just lean into others to, to invite them in to help us, let us do that. To pursue you. Where our voice needs to get louder, we, where our testimony needs to get brighter, that we wouldn't be guilty of, of having this amazing moment at the manger and then walking through the streets as we leave and saying nothing. But like the shepherds, it would overflow and we'd want to tell people. So excited to rejoice in you. And so hear us now as we well up with worship and sing. For you are good, worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.